0: How many people believe that today? Amen. You know, I do believe that, that the best days of the church, even though we know uh, that the days are darker and darker, I do believe the best days of the church uh, are yet to come. If you look at the book of Acts, and we see all that God had done in the book of Acts through His people, that was just the beginning. Alright? And I, we, I have to believe that God is still wanting to do some greater things. For his last day's church. How many people believe that today? Well, this morning we're going to talk about shrinking faith. uh, And we're going to contrast it with saving faith. But we're going to talk about faith as a whole today. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews. uh, The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19. And we're going to just talk about the last couple chapters of the book of Hebrews. We were on a series uh, a few weeks ago uh, talking about the revelation, the, the glory of Christ. And Christ revealed through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we finished that series, but I really want to capstone it with today's message over the last couple of chapters of the book of Hebrews, uh, talking about shrinking faith. Uh, but just a quick story to open us this morning. And You know, in 1900, around the years 1900, there was a great uh, revolt, a great split in China. And it was this uh, insurgent movement. that was very anti-foreigner, Western Uh, like American and European, anti-westerner, and it was anti-Christian. And it was called the Boxer Rebellion. And this great big rebellion, uh, you can look it up up on Wikipedia or whatever, but there was a story about a a group of young people. And these insurgents who were anti-American, anti-Christian, came to this Christian mission uh, complex, this house, and they surrounded it and they blocked all of the gates except for one. There are about a hundred students and missionaries inside. And they took a cross, and they laid that cross down in the dirt at the entrance of that one gate. And they told those students, they said, If you come out here and you trample and walk on top of this cross, we will let you go and live. But if you do not, you'll meet death. The first seven students come out, and they... Fearing for their life, they walk on top of the cross, and to their word, the insurgents let them go. but there is a little girl, the eighth little girl, she comes out of that mission, she kneels beside that cross and she prays for strength, and she walks around it and she meets the firing squad and she dies for her faith and her Saving faith inspired the rest of the 90-some-odd students to do likewise, and they all walked around that cross and met their death for Jesus Christ. In that moment, where would your faith stand? Would you shrink back and trample on the cross of Christ for fear of death? Or would you stand up and persevere and march headfirst into the glory of Christ. How many people want a saving faith, a step-forward kind of faith, a faith that's going to say, I'm not going to trample on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, Where would your faith stand? You know, I think in America today, there is a great slacking away. And I don't say falling away, because nobody thinks they're falling. It's a slacking away. It's a slow fade that the great Casting Crown song sings about. But it's a slow fade that I can just... You know, I can miss a few services here and there. I'm not really engaged in my prayer time like I know I ought to be, but I know Jesus, I love Jesus. And, and, and perhaps you they are saved. But you can see in America today that, you know, the average American Christian only attends church once or twice a month. And if that's you today, I'm going to challenge you to take, take it up a notch, okay? I'm not going to just play around here this morning. I'm gonna, I believe God's got some great things ahead. But we see there's a slacking away. Uh, And I I look at what is happening, not just, I'm not talking about our church, but in the American church today, that many people without realizing it are losing their footing of faith, they're growing morally lax. you know in America today, we're ordaining homosexual pastors? You know, in America today, we are uh, seeing uh, uh, believers engage in premarital sex without conviction. I mean, believers that, that know the Word of God. We see uh, divorce through the church just as much as we see in the world, and I don't think it's a failure on the part of that one spouse. I think it's a failure on the part of those those individuals as Christians, not about what their relationship with their spouse is. I think it's about being the church and saying, I'm so in love with Jesus that I want to be all that my spouse needs me to be. And so we see that one spouse normally is not going all in with Jesus, and we see uh, Today, that in a Christian home, we're watching the same movies, we're watching the same TV shows and books and music as the world. And and I'm telling you, you turn the TV on and it's filled with homosexuality, it's filled with premarital sex and nudity and foul language and vulgarity and paganism and all the like. And we take it all in. Now, I know we're in the world and I'm not harking on TV shows, and I'm not harking on religiosity today. Hear me. But when we look at all of this stuff, I'm telling you, it's draining us dry. Because today there's this great slacking away, because think of it this way. Instead of drawing near to Christ today in these last days, how many churches today have a Spirit-filled prayer meeting that was the foundation of the early church, a Spirit-filled prayer meeting? How many churches today have those? How many churches today uh, have the zeal and the power of the Holy Spirit like the early church did? How many people today are are longing in, in hours of prayer like the early church fathers did that conquered the known world in just a few decades and generations that they saw the world change for the glory of Christ. They were praying hours a day. They were fasting. They were interceding. They were sacrificing. They were giving their possessions. They were selling out for the gospel of Jesus Christ because they really, really believed it. They really believed it. And they were willing to uh, move past the compromise. And uh, I could could poll this today. I'm not going to. They just, uh, if I asked you to raise your hand and and don't, to say, how many people are just tired? You know, I would be one who raised my hand. You're just tired today. Just worn out. And I think today there's this great apathy. There's this great lethargy over the American church. And I think here's why. The more we feel, fill our life with these things of this world, the more I'm engaging in television, the more I'm engaging in Facebook, the more, and those things in itself are not wrong, but the more I'm engaging in the go and the go and the go. You know, we're a busy people, but we're go, 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 but we never go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? We're so busy. We've got so many entertainments. We've got so much drama. We've got so many things we're buying and selling and doing. And it's like we're filling our life with all this stuff. But you know what? We are all tired. We're all worn out. I mean, I, you can just... Uh, and as a pastor, you look at the, the people who call for prayer and the people who come to your office or the, the stories you hear in the church. There's just so many people worn out today. And I'm finding that the more we're doing and doing and doing and going and going and being with the world, while we may even go to vacation and feel like we're going to be rested, we're not. Because there's no rest like rest in Jesus. There is no peace like peace in Jesus. There's no joy like joy in Jesus. And it's when we begin to re-engage and say, God, is my faith really shrinking or is it saving, stretching kind of faith? Is it a faith that is running for something in Christ? Is it something that I realize that God is giving me something worth pursuing And I'm realizing that the things of this world are actually zapping my strength. It's things of this world that are complicating my life, that leave me with no appetite for Christ, and in turn, leaving me feeling weak and weary. But I'm telling you today, God has got something better for you. God has got something worth pursuing for you. How many people believe that today? Man, there is something good about to come. There is something good God has in store for your life if you are willing to run for it. How many people want to run for what Jesus has got today? Amen? Let's look, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If you're there, somebody say, Amen. All right, very good. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to read a little bit here this morning. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, okay? And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm drawing near. Okay. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. There's that assurance there. Remember that. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast. Remember that word. A confession of our hope. Uh, The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another or spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe God has an encouraging word for us today, but it's going to come with some challenge. Because as soon as he talks about, hey, let's not stop going to church, instead, let's start coming to church, not just attending, let's start being an encouragement, because God has got something for us. He's been our great high priest, He's been our perfect sacrifice. He's made a new and living way to get us access into the presence of God. So why in the world would we want to skip out on being together because we've got something awesome. Amen. Amen. We've got something awesome." And he says, and he goes on just the next couple of verses, he says, "Now let me tell you this though. While we're engaged in this, I want to challenge you that believers are no longer to go on willfully sinning because there's a severe and certain punishment, he says, for those who trample on the cross. Remember, we just talked about trampling on the cross with these, that story in uh, China. But there's severe punishment for those who willingly, purposefully trample on the cross and deny Christ by willfully sinning. But he says, guess what? But there's something better for you. So he says, look in Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Remember that word confidence, talking about faith, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Verse 37. Here we are. For in yet a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. How many people believe that today? But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back... There's the title of our message today. My soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. How many people want to claim that verse today? I'm not one who shrinks back, but I'm going to be one who perseveres to the saving of the soul, the preserving of the soul. So what is faith? One more verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. What is faith then? Those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. What is faith? He says, faith is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for. The conviction. Some of us have remembered King James. The evidence of things not seen. I like these two words here. Uh, when we go back and we look, there's the confidence and the conviction. Or the confidence or the conviction. He says, there is faith is the confidence of something hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, now we have the substance and the evidence in the King James, but if you look in the Greek, those two words can also mean uh, confidence and conviction. Those are the ones I 'm going to use this morning. Okay, so what 's going on here we 're going to talk about shrinking faith and saving faith, and in the book of Hebrews, this author, we don 't know who he is, but he 's talking about uh, to these second generation Christians. Now these guys have learned the Bible they 've learned who Christ is. And they actually have endured some heavy persecution. Some of them have actually stood up for those who were being persecuted and in turn lost their property. How many people have lost their property out of persecution? Probably nobody in this room today. These guys are legit Christians. But because of the struggles of this world, they've gotten tired. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we go through things that make us tired and weary. And sometimes it's hard to stand for Christ. And they have gotten tired and they actually are considering Well, maybe, what is this doctrine of Christ? It's sometimes easier. Maybe let's just go back to what we used to know. And sometimes in trials and situations and struggles, it's easy to just revert back to just getting by, just getting through. Can I just get a break for just a moment? And God, I don't don't feel like going all in. I don't feel like praying all the time. I don't feel like reading my Bible all the time. And we think those are the things that are really tiring us out. And so we kind of take a, a chill pill. We step back a little bit and he encourages him and he says, hey, but guess what? I'm going to remind you of who Jesus is. Christ is this great high priest. Christ is the one that has interceded for us. He became the perfect sacrifice. He allows you to go into the holy of holies, the presence of God. He's removed all accusation and condemnation for you for once and for all. There's been a sacrifice that allows you to have the presence of God in your life at any moment, at any time, at any day, in any place, no matter who you are or what you've done. And he gives them this great picture of Christ. And he says, but I also want you to remember... Because this is how awesome Christ is. If you turn your back on Him, if you trample on the cross of Christ, if you willfully go on sinning, if you neglect so great a salvation by just trying to skate by, and eventually you may lose your salvation because one day sin is deceiving and one day you may wake up and you've lost it. He challenges him. He says, but if you if you neglect a salvation like this and if you just don't think it's that big of a deal, he says, I'm not we're just... Can kind I of put a little warning in here? There is no more sacrifice after Jesus. There is nothing, no sort of hope for anybody outside of the blood of Jesus other than the hellfire and judgment of life eternal. And he reminds them, he's like, but this is what I'm telling you today. Hebrews ten thirty eight. 38. The just shall live by faith. Living by faith and shrinking by faith. You know, I think... Um, There's a real temptation uh, in this world and in this Christian life to not just live by faith, but to live by sight. What does that mean? Living by sight. So you've got to live by faith and live by sight. Living by sight, for me, is looking at my life, and I'm looking more down than I am looking more up. And simply, it's wandering through life like Israel did. You think about Israel in the wilderness, and Israel... Here's the voice of God, is told what God is going to do for them. They get this word of a great promise to come. And yet, while the things get hard in life and they're trying to get by and they're trying to get to where God wants them to go, and like us, we're trying to get to heaven, we're going through life, things get hard. The enemy comes and attacks you. Life gets weak and weary. It's dry sometimes. We go through deserts. Uh, People don't always act like they should act. And it's easy to kind of just shrink back and begin to rely on our own self. And Israel, the same way, they begin to shrink back in this wilderness experience, although they had the fire of God and the cloud of God and the word of God and the promise of God. They begin to look not by faith in what God had said, but look by sight. They begin to look at their situations and circumstances. They begin to try to figure things out on their own. They begin to test the waters with God and, and try to see, like, well, maybe, God, we can go this way, or maybe I can do it that way. And what happens is, this resulted in only more pain more frustration, more suffering, and ultimately it resulted in physical and spiritual death. And so when we begin to try to live this Christian life on our own and do it by the things that we're seeing in the natural, I'm thinking about my job, I'm thinking about my family, I'm thinking about my circumstances, I'm thinking about this relationship, this pain, this financial situation, I'm thinking about my unknown future. I know what God's big will is for me. God's a good, pleasing, awesome God who likes to give us good things, right? Okay, I get God's good. But right now, God, what about this? I many people know what I'm talking about today? We have this great idea that He's good and pleasing and perfect, and He's got a promise, but God, I'm trying to get by this week. I heard a pastor friend of mine uh, this last Sunday said, he said, God did not call you just to get by another week. He's got something in store for you, something great planned for you, and Israel lost sight of that because they weren't walking by faith, they are walking by sight. And to walk uh, by faith and not by sight means we leave three things. Number one, that's sin, Number two is self and society. Sin, self, and society. Sin is that thing that easily entangles us. The author of Hebrew tells us that sin is that thing that easily deceives us. You know, our bodies, uh, our souls are saved and the Holy Spirit comes over us, but you know, our bodies are still unredeemed. What does that mean? That means every day I wake up fighting the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three big things that sin means. Lust of the flesh, the desires that my flesh things that it wants to do, the desires of my eyes, the things that my flesh desires to look at, to desire, greed, money. And it's not always just sex. It just could be, uh, you know, the things of this world we desire to have, the things of this life we desire, comfort and pleasure. Uh, We desire a pain-free life. And those things, every morning you get up, and even though your soul is saved, your body is not yet redeemed until this second coming of Christ. So you live every day fighting these things. And sin is very real. We live it every day. None of us are above those things. I live every day fighting the cravings of the flesh to go back to where I was, to live in the natural all the time, to think in the natural, to feel in the natural, let my feelings rule the truth that I know what God has said for me. So we fight sin. We fight self. Self is that thing in our life that says, I can. You know, Adam and Eve's big sin was that they thought they could do something better than what God did. And they followed what the the devil said. And so self is the things that I can, I can make myself better. I can try harder and I'll be a better person. I can quit this or that habit and that'll make me better. Uh, I can do this or do that. If I change how I wear, if I change how I talk, if I change what I watch, those things are only outwardly things. And the Bible says we can change all the outwardly things we want, but we can never change the inwardly things. That's only reserved for the Spirit of God. And so self is this religion that uh, tramples on the cross. It says that I need to add something to what Jesus Christ has provided by giving me access into the presence of God. Church, the only thing you need is the presence of God. You don't need to change anything. The presence of God will change you, right? And so we leave sin, we leave self that says I need to change something. We let God start working on us and then He begins changing us. And we leave society, sin, self, and society. Society is the things that is man's kingdom. And man's kingdom sets his self up against God's kingdom. And everything about man's kingdom is different. God's kingdom is the upside-down kingdom. The Bible says to give, and it's better to give than to receive. And man says, well, take as much as you can, right? Uh, Man says, lift yourself up and work up the ladder to get better notoriety and get fame and and be well-known. And the Bible says, lower yourself and be a servant to all. Everything man says, God says the opposite. And so I have to learn, as a Christian, leave the way man thinks. Leave the way that society says, ladies, here's what you need to look like. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God's going to remake you as a beautiful woman of God on the inside, and that's where your glory is, right? Uh, The Bible, the man's kingdom says, men, you need to do this, and it's all on your shoulders, and you need to be a provider, and you need to do that. The Bible says God's your provider. Don't worry about today or tomorrow. He's got everything you need in store, right? So everything that man does, I want to do the opposite. And so as a person of faith, I've got to leave sin, self, and society. Are you with me this morning? Okay. And so if I don't, I end up trampling on the promise of God because just like Israel, God says, I have a promise for you. I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm a good God. Trust my word. I'm trying to get you to a better country, a better home, a better place. And along the way, my spirit's going to go with you and help you get there. And a person of faith is walking with God. but A person of sight begins to trample on that promise. We think about uh, Esau, and the author of Hebrews reminds us to think about Esau. And Esau's this guy, and he's got a brother, Jacob. And God had given their family a great promise through Abraham that they were going to make the children of Israel a great nation and give them a great land and a great promise, and it would be an eternal, uh, eternal inheritance And Esau is this natural, carnally-minded man. And so we, I don't go, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but Esau basically in hunger, out hunting, uh, in hunger, uh, sells his birthright for a mere bowl of soup, basically, to his brother. And and you can get into the story a little bit, uh, but it really wasn't about the soup. And you wonder, well, man, you had to be really hungry to sell your inheritance for a bowl of soup. I'm not quite sure it was about the hunger. Here's what I think it was about. He didn't really believe in the promise of God. It wasn't a big deal to him that his great grandfather had a big vision about God. It wasn't a big deal to him that God had a promise and a future and a plan for his family. He was going to get an inheritance, but it was the double portion that would pass on the lineage of the promise. That's the one that Jacob kind of stole from him. Esau willingly gave it up because I think he wasn't a person of faith. He didn't really believe he was naturally minded. He wasn't living by faith, but he was living by sight. Think of it this way. He was more focused on his hunting plans and his truck. As a young man getting ready to get out of the nest, he was more focused on what big tires he had on his truck. He was more focused on what hunting club he was on. He was more focused on what girl he was dating. He was more focused on what plans he was having on Friday night rather than what God's plans were for his life. And that's where he was. He was naturally minded. And Esau uh, missed out that God had earth-shaking plans for him. You know, the greatest tragedy, tragedy in the world today, I don't believe, is hunger or war or slavery or racism. A lot of big problems out there. I think the biggest tragedy in the world today is a Christian whose wavering faith caused them to shrink back and leave the glory of God. It's the Christian who steps back from, just, man, God has something so awesome for you, and you almost made it, but then you shrunk back because you got naturally minded. You got focused on man's kingdom instead of God's kingdom. You let your self-worth and your self-image be the thing that lost sight of God's worth and His image. It was your sin that easily entangled you and deceived you, even though you thought you were still headed towards the promised land. You, in turn, then trampled on the cross. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. He said, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's true, if it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be, however, is moderately important. This is the truth or it isn't. There is no halfway Christianity. There is no halfway getting to the promised land. There is no halfway trusting God. There is, no, uh, there is all in or all out. The Bible says God doesn't like lukewarm. He spews us out of his mouth because we're not all in truly believing him to get us all the way there. You're like, God, I know you want me to get to heaven, but God, I'm going to help you get me this far. And then once I do this part, then God, yeah, take me the rest of the way. We say those things to God all the time without actually saying them. We're like, God, I'm going to try to get this job. I'm going to ask you after I've applied for the ones that I want. Right? That's what we do. I, this is what I want, God. I'm going to pursue these paths and then, God, would you please help me? And that's halfway hearted uh, trying to get by faith. But faith is saying, God, what do you want in my life? God, what's your plans for me? Let me be clear today. You know, we all make mistakes. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God and I am no better than anybody else. I have made mistakes. I struggle daily uh, to live a holy life. And the Bible is not uh, telling us today uh, that... that. Uh, you know, uh, God has never thought that you could be perfect on your own. He's not calling you to say, I expect this level of perfection for you. Because if He thought you could be perfect and, and do it without Jesus, He never would have sent His Son. Jesus had to be perfect for you. And so I'm trusting in His perfection. But here's what God's requiring for me today. He's not asking me for perfection. Yes, does He want it? Yes, but follow me. God is not asking you for your perfection. He's asking you for your faith. He's asking you for your faith. Jesus became perfection for you. He's asking you for your faith. So the question today really is not, what did you do and what are you doing and how bad are you doing and how good you're doing? The question is, how's your faith? How's your faith? I'm going to make mistakes. The men of God, these great men of God, made mistakes. We all fall short, but Jesus became perfection. But the Bible says, I attain his righteousness by faith. The level God wants me to get to, the place God wants me to get to, is only a journey of faith. Not my trying to be better. It's a journey of faith. So let's talk about what is saving faith today. That's the big question today. What is saving faith? Because I don't want a shrinking faith. I want saving faith. Let's look in Hebrews 11. Turn, Turn there, just flip over. Hebrews chapter 11. The author gives some great examples... About this saving faith then. Because it's like Jesus became perfection for me. I know I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to be holy. I'm not supposed to shrink back. I'm not supposed to trample on the cross. I'm not supposed to willfully deny what he's done. I'm supposed to trust in it. So, but he's saying though, the real thing you need, because Jesus has already been perfect for you. You're perfect in him. Now you need faith that keeps you moving forward. And this saving faith. And He says, let me tell you some stories. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is this confidence and it's this conviction. And he says, I'm just going to paraphrase. Abel, example, offered a sacrifice in faith. It pleased God. He became righteous. Enoch, witness to the world, prophesied to the world of what would come in the end times. Enoch pleased God by his faith, and so God took him. Abraham believed God at his word, didn't know where he was going, sold all of his possessions, took his family, moved to a new country a lot of miles away. And didn't even know how to get there. He just, every step of the day, he walked with God. And God said he was faithful. And then he believed God to the degree that God said, Give me your son, your promised son, the one that I'm going to give you the lineage of the promise through. Kill him. And Abraham said, Well, I believe, God, that your word is true. I believe you can raise him up if that's the case. Or the other way, you're going to figure out a way to give me the promise because I believe you by faith. You said you'd bless me. And so Abraham was counted as righteous by faith. We look at other guys uh, in there. Uh, we think about Joseph. Here's a guy who was going to die without ever seeing the promised land of God. And he believed in such the word of God that God had prepared a home for him and his people. That even though dying in the foreign land, he told his sons, whenever that day comes when God's promise happens, dig up my bones and take me with you. That's faith. I believe something even if I haven't seen it, it's going to happen because God said it. Amen. If God says it, it's going to happen. And so he says, That's, that pleased God. Now, were these men perfect? Absolutely not. Think about David. Abraham messed up God's will. Uh, uh, David, they likewise, uh, committed murder and adultery. These people were not perfect. But what was happening here is they were running towards God's promise of a new home, and they proved their faith. What it really means is their lives demonstrated, I really believe God. Does your life demonstrate you really believe God? Because see, there's some action in here. I'm going to give you three things today to take home of what saving faith really is. And you don't need any other type of faith than saving faith. There is not a higher level of faith to see more miracles and healings and uh, or get words of knowledge and mysticism. There is one type of faith that's saving faith, and that's the only faith you need. And here's the three words you want to write down this morning. Saving faith, number one, is confidence. Confidence. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, that faith is the confidence of things hoped for. It is a confident hope. The assurance, the confidence of what? I believe it's a confidence of number one, of who Jesus is. I'm confident in who Jesus is. You know what that means? It means that this substance, if you go back to the King James, the substance of things hoped for, the confidence of things hoped for, that means that the substance of my life must be rooted in, grounded in, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He is King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe He is the perfect high priest for me who makes intercession day and night before God. I believe He is the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb that is good enough, the one-time sacrifice that shed His blood for me that I never have to sacrifice that again, that my life does not have to die because of who He is. Do you believe that today? Do you believe in who He is, that He is the good shepherd, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and that today, through and though he endured the cross, he took our shame, he gave us resurrection power, and he's reigning on the throne of heaven. If you don't get that today, maybe we should have some shouting on that one. If he is reigning on the throne of heaven, you see, I must have confidence that Jesus is where he says he is. Do you understand today? If I'm going to go through persecution, if I'm going to face rulers and principalities and powers, if I'm going to stand before the high courts that are ready to chop my head off in a Muslim country, I must know I have a God who is sitting on the throne in heaven and I'm not going to be shaken, I'm not going to shrink back because I'm on the winning team. Amen? You see, it wasn't just to get by faith. It wasn't just to get through your weak kind of faith. Oh Lord, if I don't have a help from you, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through these bunions. It wasn't that kind of faith. It wasn't like, God, I don't know. God no, it was Abraham. God, you said you have a promise for me. I'm packing my bags. I'm walking. By faith, not by sight. I'm leaving sin, self, and society because I know Jesus has got something better for me. Amen? So, number one, it's got to be a confidence. Come on, church. We've got to be a little bit more confident in who Jesus is. We're all messed up about who's president and what's going on in the world. Who cares? Really, who cares? We're on the winning team. We have a kingdom that's not been shaken. Amen? Amen? Come on. We don't care about demons, and I'm not scared of demons and the devil, and I'm not caring about sickness and cancer. All that stuff, yeah, we endure it. We're going to go through it, but we're going to beat it. Confidence. Boldness. And so number one is confidence. Number two is conviction. So it is the assurance, the confidence, the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence, the conviction of things not seen. All right, so the conviction. What's conviction? Conviction. Saving faith requires conviction, I think. So we got the confidence about who he is. I think it's a conviction about what he did. So who he is and then what he did. Conviction about what he did. You know, people have all kind of quirky convictions today. Uh, You can see it even online. These environmentalists, they are anti-oil, but yet they'll go kayak out there to the... on an oil-based kayak, go protest... Things They'll drive cars. You know, we have quirky convictions that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, there's an assembly line of meat packaging probably somewhere, and one says organic, and one says, you know, the off-brand. And, well, I can't eat that because that's organic, you know, or that's organic. I have to add that. And we'll pay nine ninety nine dollars a pound for something because it has a little sticker on it, not knowing they come from the same place. I mean, we have a lot of quirky convictions, right? Uh, and so there's conviction, though, is this strong belief that I'm fully convinced of, and that it manifests in action. Okay, I'm going to say that again. A true conviction is a strong belief I'm fully convinced of that manifests in action. That's why the author of Hebrews, when he talks about faith, he uses all these key words in this chapter, in, the, in the, chapter 10 and 11. He says, seek, draw near, hold fast, stimulate or spur on, encourage, and run. You look at all those guys in chapter 11, they all did something. We have a small group here today, it's called Faith That Works, because faith actually produces something. Faith is an action, it's an action word. And so, if I can't see it in the natural, but if I have a conviction of my faith, of what Jesus did, here's what I'm going to say to the world today. I am convinced that Jesus, by His blood, is the mediator of a new covenant. He makes my righteousness perfect by faith. He equips me by His Spirit in every good thing to do His will. And because of this conviction, I'm willing to lay aside all those things that easily entangle me. I'm willing to take up my cross, die daily, and keep on running after Him. Is that your conviction? Something you're willing to die on, take action about? That I believe Jesus died on the cross, put sin and death where it should be, and He lifted me up and seated me in heavenly places with Him. I'm convicted about that. I'm a, it's a strong belief that manifests in an action in my life that I'm willing to put down sin, self, and society because I believe God's got better things for me. All right, lastly, confession. Confidence, conviction, confession. Saving faith, then, if we wrap it all up, is this. It's my confident conviction. Saving faith is my confessing, my confident conviction. Say it again. Saving faith is confessing my confident conviction of who Jesus is, what he's done, and where he's taken me. Saving faith is my is confessing my confident conviction of who Jesus is, what he's done, and where he's taken me. It is a public declaration of something my life is taking action on. It doesn't just stay with me believing it, it doesn't just stay with me taking action on it it ends with me confessing it to the world. These men of God confess to the world by their faith. It's a public declaration. And for the believer today, it means I know that if I don't shrink back, but if I hold fast to Jesus, I'm going to receive what He promised me. That's a better and lasting home in heaven where my soul is preserved in the city of the living God. you believe that today? That God has got your soul preserved in the city of the living God? Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Chapter 11, verse 6. Real quick. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek Him. You know, newer translations don't put that word in, but I like keeping it in there. Diligently seek Him. Earnestly seek Him. And what were they seeking? Verse 10. I think it's on the screen. Verse 10. Abraham was looking for the city which, found, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a city that could not be shaken. He was looking for a place that was eternal, that it could not be stole from him, that no raider or pillaging could take over, that no person could get elected and ruin it. He was looking for a place where there's no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more dying, no more grief, no more despair, where God reigns eternal and is seated on the throne. That's what he was looking for. And he says... God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Where is God taking you? And are you diligently seeking that place? And faith, if you are, faith is going to be your confident confession. It's going to be a confident confession of this conviction. I know where I'm going. I know where He's taking me. And I'm willing to leave it all behind to run for it. I think so many people are shrinking in faith today because we're thinking more about the place that we come from rather than the place we're going. We think more about the place we come from more than the place we're going. We're worried about all the drama of this world. It means nothing. We're all going to parties that leave us lonely and hobbies that produce nothing and buying stuff we don't need and can't take with us. And we're always going and busy and busy and going to places that lead nowhere, that produce nothing in eternity. We're so caught up in the world today. We're so focused on where we're coming from instead of where we're going. I want a confident conviction that I confess to the world saving faith. Saving faith. Is your faith shrinking today? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you trying to find? God has something better in store for you. It is good news. Good news. It's worth running for. Heaven is worth running head first for. Who cares about that drama? Who cares if she or he is talking bad about you on Facebook? It don't matter. Facebook's going to burn in hell. Okay? Okay. It's true. It don't matter. It don't matter. All the things you could have, you wish you had, should have had if you made better decisions. Don't matter. What are you running for? Maybe you feel like giving up today. Maybe you've had some setbacks. Maybe you're tired. Maybe this world just worn you out. You know, sometimes in life, I get to these places where I feel like passionless and powerless to just get in my prayer life. Passionless and powerless just to have the energy to shout for God's victory. You know, you feel weak and weary sometimes. That's when we remind ourselves, I'm going somewhere better. God's got something better for me. His presence is here with me, and He's taking me somewhere. He's not just trying to get me through another week. He's taking me somewhere better. Amen? Worship team, would you come? I'm going to read this and as they come and close with this. Hebrews at 12:1. Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since you've got a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you, let us lay aside every encumbrance, everything and the sin which so easily entangles and let us run. Let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of what your faith because it was joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He mean, where is he? He sat down at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God. It's about where he's at. It's about where he's at and where you're running to today. And maybe you're here today and you're weak and you're weary, you feel powerless. you've got things in your life that you've been caught up with, and the world's just distracting you. And I just want to encourage you today, don't be a part of shrinking faith culture. Put away sin that easily entangles. Don't try to live life by doing it yourself or have a religious attitude that says you've got to do all these things to be perfect. Jesus Christ became perfect for you. You're just supposed to run that race with faith. Run with faith. And that faith is a confident conviction that you confess to the world. It's a confident conviction. I believe in who Jesus is. I believe in what He's done. And I believe in where He's taken me. And that will change your life. It will be a declaration to the world, and that will please God. You're not going to please God with trying harder. You're not going to please God with changing the way you look. You're not going to please God with changing anything on the outside about you. You're going to please God when you run by faith. When you run by faith. Would you stand across this place today? And we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer.